0: Hi, and welcome to the second part in a three-part podcast series on trade in ancient Egypt. This podcast will be on the evolution of the Egyptian economy from the Old Kingdom to the Middle Kingdom, with a look on how it went from an internal agricultural-based economic system used to fund the massive funeral complexes of the Old Kingdom, to an economic system based on external goods brought to Egypt through trade, and most importantly, a shift to conquest as a method of achieving and securing wealth for the Egyptian state. The economy of the Old Kingdom was, for the most part, comprised of internal revenues of agricultural wealth, foodstuff grown in Egypt. However, towards the end of the Old Kingdom, Egypt started to dabble in what would become the driving force of the Egyptian economy in the Middle Kingdom. These new ideas of wealth will come from non-food-based products acquired from outside of Egypt, and will change the way Egypt interacts with their neighboring countries, specifically Nubia. This early interaction can be seen in the autobiographical inscriptions of Harkuf. A higher up scout who, commanded, who was commanded to go up the Nile to the bordering nation of Yam, possibly another name for Nubia or Kush, in the time of Pepi II, one of the last strong pharaohs of the old kingdom. Harcouf sent back a long list of the goods he acquired from the people of Yam Three hundred donkeys laden with incense, ebony, precious oil, grain, leopard skins, elephant tusks, and throw sticks. These are all mostly non agricultural products. Things not producible in Egypt, and thus given value to. Shortly after the reign of Pepi II, we see a collapse of the central government in Egypt, the first intermediate periods in Egypt, forcing Egyptians to look inward to deal with internal problems. Later, once power has again been focused into a single central government, we see a shift in Egyptian priorities to wealth that lays beyond their borders. There were two distinct ways that Egypt went about acquiring the goods of these far-off lands. Trade and war. The trading method was practiced to a greater degree between Egypt and the peoples who inhabited the areas to the north of Egypt. For Egypt, this part of the world represented a new form of commerce to take part in, naval trade. With the recent discovery of a stone slab that, quote, may be characterized as the earliest bill of lotting, or cargo manifest, known. This slab was discovered because the stone was reused in later temples from the New Kingdom, and because of this, we were able to get a glimpse of what trade was going on. This list shows us that there was a pretty good amount of trade going on with everything from copper to slaves to hides and other raw goods that Egypt was not create- capable of creating in a sustainable manner for themselves. There's also evidence of trade between Egypt and the Minoans of Crete. This is interesting because it marks the creation of sea trade, either receiving trade from a sea-going people or engaging in trade themselves. This can be shown how, quote, the Egyptian stone vases made their way to Crete, where their styles were imitated by Minoan craftsmen. This shows that trade was going on between these two long-distance cultures. The other way Egypt went about securing these goods was by way of conquest and military power. The best example for the Middle Kingdom comes from the interactions between Egypt and Nubia, where Egypt sent military campaigns into Nubia to get goods that they wanted, and then built massive forts to protect the conquered lands and to control their neighbors. We know that Egyptians took a lot of gold and other precious metals from that were not natively found in Egypt from Nubia, based on multiple sources that discuss the booty taken from Nubia. The first comes from a carving for a man named Ifonotet, who was a government-appointed official who was tasked with putting up a stela to honor the pharaoh. The important part comes when Ifonotet describes the stela, quote, to embellish his secret image with the electrum, which he had my majesty bring back from the furthest Nubia in victory and justification. This all but tells us how the mighty master this man served went to Nubia and conquered them by force and got the electrum, which is an alloy of gold and silver, an item not found in Egypt but still highly valued. Another example of these items that Egypt forcefully got from Nubia come to us again from that stone tablet that had the shipping manifest, which has an entire list titled, quote, Tribute from Nubians. This tells us not only that, Egyptian raid, that the Egyptians raiding Nubia but that Nubians at times were paying tribute to Egyptians. This could have been, as it will be in the future, a way to try to buy off the Egyptians from more raids or further conquest, or it could have been a sort of forced tribute installed by conquest to show the Nubians' continued loyalty. The last major sign that major resources were deferred to maintaining military control for trade and acquisition of Nubian goods comes from the major forts that were constructed. These forts were built in critical trade zones on the Nile River so that they could, would be in direct command of all the trade that passed by them. Quote, some, such as Murgasi, were more involved with trade than others. Bread and beer were exchanged for native goods, while some, such as Askut, appeared to have been used as supply depots for campaigns. This level of investment into the area shows that there was a major shift in Egyptian society because of the amount of resources n- needed to build and staff these major, fort- major fortifications on the outskirts of Egyptian territory. This shows the growing importance foreign trade was to the Egyptian economy. If it was not, then they would never have invested the time and manpower needed for these undertakings. This concludes the second podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it informative. Have a wonderful day.